0: about to get real cash flow king with you today and today in episode 49 why i'm still not investing in a car wash syndication thanks so much for listening to the show we really appreciate it i want to give a very special shout out to all the listeners out in lakewood new jersey you guys are blowing it up on the charts really really appreciate it for those that haven't seen the premium membership premium has recently increased from $3 a month to $5 a month as we continue to build out that platform and have additional items to add. I will give a very special offer to those out in Lakewood, New Jersey. Today's June 16th. If you decide you'd like to become a premium member by the end of the month, June of 2023, Email the show, realtalkpersonalfinance at gmail.com and somehow prove that you're from Lakewood, New Jersey, and I will make sure that you're able to join at the previous pricing of $3 a month, at which point you'll be grandfathered in when it remains at 5 and potentially beyond that in the years to come. So thanks again to everybody for listening to the show. Today's episode is going to be somewhat of a continuation way back from episode number 29. So episode 29 is titled, Why I'm Not Investing in a Car Wash Syndication Yet. And today's episode, episode 49, so basically 20 episodes later, is why I'm still not investing in a car wash syndication. So if you haven't checked out episode 29, I think you should probably do that before listening to today's show. I think it's going to lay a really nice foundation as to what a car wash syndication is a little bit about syndication in general, why somebody might consider choosing a syndication related investment as opposed to buying a car wash on their own, so on and so forth. So I think that will be a good baseline. Today is pretty much going to be a continuation of that, and I'm not going to. This is not designed to promote anybody. I am not raising money, like I've said in previous shows. I don't really give a shit what you do with your money, and unless you're subscribing to the show. Then we absolutely care that you are helping to support Real Talk Personal Finance. But other than that, from an investment standpoint, you can do whatever you like, right? But I'm not going to name the companies that I'm talking about here, especially on a general episode like this, because whether you think it's good or bad, I'm not trying to promote anybody and I don't want to be in violation of any securities laws or anything like that. So I'm going to tell you what me as an individual, cash flow King, was personally looking at for his own personal real estate portfolio or portion of my real estate portfolio and why even after some of the changes that I was hoping for when I recorded episode 29, this particular group has made some changes, but I'm still not convinced that it's right for me. So that's what we're going to talk about today. With all that said, this probably goes without saying by now, but I'm going to mention it again anyway. We don't give any advice on the show. Everything we do here is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please seek your own professional for your own individualized advice. There's our disclaimer. Woo! Okay. So with that said, picking up from episode 29, I heard on another podcast, there was an individual who was raising money quite some time ago when I was initially looking at this and decided not to do it. And if you remember back to episode 29, one of the reasons I decided not to invest in that particular syndication at the time was they were essentially cashing out investors and forcing them out at a 1.75x multiple. In other words, you, even though they touted all the potential upside and the exit multiples that these things are selling for to private equity firms and all this other stuff, you weren't going to participate in really any of that as an investor. They were going to use your money to generate those outsized returns essentially for themselves, give you a little bit of a payout in the terms of a 1.75x multiple, but that was your best case scenario. You could not earn any more than that. There was still no meat on the bone for you or for me as an individual investor. And I really didn't like that. It didn't resonate with me, so I decided to give it a pass. And one of the things that I mentioned to them and apparently... They weren't lying when they told me that I wasn't alone because other investors had mentioned this to them as well, which is, hey, if there's all this potential upside, why don't you leave some meat on the bone for us? Why don't we get to come alongside of you and participate in a portion of that upside? Why are you keeping it all for yourselves and cashing us out? That's bullshit pretty much. And apparently they listened, or at least they seem to have listened on the surface. So not too long ago, I heard one of the gentlemen That's part of this group on a podcast. They had mentioned that they were no longer just raising for a debt type of fund or structure where you had a capped exit multiple, but they were now going to have a true equity type syndication fund where the individual investor could participate in some of the upside. And of course, they have and talk about all the little sizzle points right all the different bullet points about why you might want to invest with them and they tell you about the investment itself and i actually went and watched the replay of a one hour webinar And it was really interesting the way that this thing was positioned, and the reason that I'm doing today's episode is, number one, just to kind of vent, because it's top of mind for me, and I've been meaning to do this for a while. I was waiting until I had complete information. I have the majority of it, and what's the saying out there? Done is better than perfect, right? So that's kind of what we're going with today. I've made my decision, because I have the vast majority of the information that I needed. But I thought it was interesting and a pretty cool exercise in terms of due diligence for investors such as myself and maybe some of you that are out there that are looking at some of these things and thinking like, hey, is this really what it appears to be at the surface? And for this particular opportunity, the revised opportunity that I'm going to be alluding to today throughout the show, the answer was... What it appeared to be on the surface and what it actually is are two very, very different things. And spoiler alert, the main reason that I'm not going to invest in this particular syndication at this time is because the investment style does not align with my investment goals. And I'll elaborate on that in a little bit. So they are touting all these different benefits. They're talking about the strong operating margins, talking about cash flow, talking about how this is considered to be a fragmented asset class. And so there's different car washes all over the place, but what happens when you are doing it through a franchise like this and essentially you're able to package them up and kind of you know consolidate a package of car washes that are all pretty much the same from an operational standpoint as part of the franchise in terms of an exit they're talking about how big institutions are looking for these things they're talking about monthly subscription models and recurring revenue and how they have memberships for the users of the car wash quite frankly I hope one of these comes to my community at some point because I probably would be a customer it's a really great model they get you in they get you out out So on and so forth, right? They're talking to investors about aggressive depreciation, and then in parentheses they have a little tidbit about that comes into effect once the car wash is operational. They talk about recession-resistant asset classes such as this, a proven team, so on and so forth, right? There's a lot of sizzle and a lot of things that go along with that. And at first glance, it's like, okay, well, I'm looking for depreciation, I'm looking for a nice exit, I'm looking for more than anything cash flow right, being the cash flow king, and so this sounded good to me at the surface, and then they put their marketing materials together, and they have different projections, so this particular group put together, I believe it was three different models, this is a conservative projection, a moderate projection, a somewhat aggressive projection and these are the types of numbers that you can see in terms of potential returns and they're quoting irrs or internal rates of return in the low to high 20s depending on the model that you're looking at right they're looking at exit multiples anywhere from about 2.75 all the way to almost three and a quarter so you know that's what you're going to get on your money essentially based on your initial investment and then the biggest thing that they are touting and they mentioned this on one of their podcasts as well is a preferred return in this particular case of 10%. And if you're not familiar with preferred returns or I'm speaking a foreign language, we did a mini series on real estate syndication investments. I think I did an episode with ODOG and there's some other ones. Please feel free to go back and visit those for some more in-depth conversation. But just as a quick recap here, a preferred return, that is generally going to be the return that you are going to receive on an annualized basis and that's typically paid out before the operator or the sponsor or the middleman, whoever you're going through, gets their cut, right? It's supposed to be accruing for you in the background, regardless of whether or not you get it in the current year. So, for example, there are certain funds out there and other single asset syndications that might say something like, hey, cash flow is going to be tight in the first few years. We're going to be doing some value add. We're going to be doing some renovation. We're going to be doing some of those things. So the cash flow is not going to be as strong. Don't worry. You're going to get, for example, an 8% preferred return. That's going to accrue for you in the background, even if we can't pay it out to you in that particular year. Maybe in year one, they're not able to pay anything out. But in year two, they're paying out 4%. Year three, they pay out 5% and so on. Well, the difference between what they're paying you, or some people call it a current pay, versus the preferred return that is accruing in the background but most of the time when at least in my personal experience when a preferred return is quoted there is generally at least some cash flow that is paid during that period in other words they're not going to declare a preferred return and then pay it all on the back end but in this particular case, that's pretty much exactly what they're doing. Another reason that I'm against it, right? So that's a little bit about preferred return. So they have all these bullet points about your multiples, your preferred returns, all the sizzle. They do a webinar. There's another group that happens to be on the webinar and they're partnering together on this deal. They don't really get into specifics of that. And then all of a sudden they say, hey, here's the summary. Let us know if you want to move forward. And I'm like, okay, you gave me the webinar. You gave me the highlights. You gave me, like, what about the actual documents? What about the PPM, the private placement memorandum, and the OA, the operating agreement, and, and so on and so forth, right? You get on the list of documents, and you start reading into some of this stuff, and I don't have this particular piece in front of me, but there was one line in particular that pretty much said, hey, we are raising money under this fund name, and I'm not going to name the fund, and this fund will invest in XYZ Fund, In other words, they are raising money for their own fund to then take all that capital and turn around and put it into another group's fund. In this particular case, it happens to be the other group that was on that webinar. But they don't tell—so that was the one line pretty much in there, in the entire 100-plus page document that tipped me off to say, hey, we—I mean, I was going to ask anyway, but we really need to dig into this and figure out, like, what is the deal with them? Because if this is sort of a fund of funds approach, nothing wrong with that. There's other groups I invest with that structure things that way. But you want to know what you're getting into and what does that look like on the other end? What does this group that's raising money from me as an individual investor, what are they going to do with my money? And when they invest it within their fund into somebody else's fund, what kind of terms are they getting from that other fund? And I read through the documents and I searched several keywords and nowhere in there, and I'm quite frankly shocked by this nowhere in the documents anywhere does it say what the splits are with this other group's fund right so after going through everything I have my list of questions we went back and forth they answered some questions and they have one of in my opinion the more confusing waterfalls that I've seen in quite some time and again if you're not familiar with waterfalls basically the way this works is as the money flows in here's how it trickles down right right so picture some water from a bucket dropping down from the top and flowing down to the bottom. There's going to be different tiers or different layers. Think of fucking lily pads or whatever the hell you want to think about on how that flows until it ultimately gets to the bottom, right? And so there's so many different variables here. It was very confusing to follow and i don't think they were very forthcoming in their documents anyway about how they're doing business with this other fund that they're essentially investing into so the group that's pitching me is basically raising money to turn around and write a check into somebody else's deal they're making their money they're making their fees and i know i've said on previous podcasts don't count other people's money and i try not to but sometimes you can't help it and so anyway that's essentially what they're doing and then this waterfall with this other fund is pretty crazy so just to give you guys an example the way that this works is they were going to go ahead and raise this money. They said 10% preferred return. Before I even get into the waterfall, let me, let me back up for a second. The main reason I'm not investing in this, as I mentioned, is because I am looking for cash flow, and this is basically a development play, and why I think this is confusing is when you think of a car wash, most people, myself included, would think of that as a cash flow type of play, Right? You have revenue, whether it's from subscriptions monthly coming in, you have recurring revenue that way, or you just have one-time revenue or potentially repeated revenue that's not on a monthly subscription basis. People just come and wash their cars whenever they feel like it. Maybe it's once a week, once every two, three weeks when it's dirty, whatever, right? They bring it through the car wash. And it seems like a very cash flow centric type of play. So naturally, you would expect, okay, well, that's what I'm looking for. And again, when they're talking about preferred returns, in this case, a 10% preferred return, you're thinking, well, great. That's a good preferred return by most people's standards. And also when they're talking about the benefits of the investment, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, and they're talking about operating margins and cash flow and recurring revenue, all those things lend themselves for you, for me, as the individual investors to think, hey, this is probably a cash flow play. And that's not the case at all. So what they're doing essentially is building a bunch of these different franchises across the country, and it's essentially a development fund or a fund of funds That is investing essentially in development and what they're developing and what they're putting on the land just so happens to be car washes. And so all the return or the vast majority of the return comes on the back end of the deal. Right now for some people cube crusher would probably get on here and say, Hey, that's great you don't need any more cash flow. You should invest for growth. Maybe he wouldn't pick this particular investment, but he might say you should invest for growth. And with those multiples and risk mitigation, because it's a car wash and it's a franchise that has never had any locations that have failed and yada, 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 you should consider this, right? And I'm not going to argue with that except for that's not what I personally want as an investor, right? My goal, my primary goal is cash flow. My secondary goal is appreciation here. Those seem to be inverted to say the least. And so it's not something that I'm interested in. But it's weird how they position this to people that may not realize this at first. They hear 10% preferred return and they think they're getting a 10% ripped to their face every single year in terms of cash flow. And that's absolutely not what's going on here, right? Now, as they get some of these car washes operational before they sell it off to a big institution, sure, there'll be some cash flow, but like I mentioned in my opening example with an eight percent preferred and an operational cash flow that might be, you know, three, four, five percent or some number that's less than that. It's probably going to be the same thing here. Even though you're getting a 10% preferred return that's accruing in the background, they might only be paying you 2% or 3%, which is better than zero. But at least initially, for the vast majority of these, as they're being built, the cash flow is zero. And as they somewhat vaguely mentioned in their marketing bullet points, the depreciation that everybody talks about, it's not really. I mean it is a depreciation play but it's not but that can't be taken according to their marketing points until the cash flows are fully built excuse me until the car washes are fully built and operational so again in a development fund that's going to take time so basically they want you to invest your money not get any cash flow right away not get any depreciation right away to speak of and to pretty much get everything on the back end and for some investors that are more growth oriented and not as cash flow oriented that might fit their strategy for me personally That's not what I'm looking for. So anyway, that's a little bit about why I'm still not investing in the car wash syndication. I got to give these guys credit. I think it's great that they finally decided to cut the investors in and give them some meat on the bone, but it's just not structured right now in such a way that I'm really interested in it for the main reasons that I just mentioned, but also because of these really fucking crazy waterfalls. So listen to this, right? waterfall for the way that this one works. There's a 10% preferred return that goes to the investors in the fund from the group that's raising the money. Okay. So we're going to, I'm not going to name them. I'm just going to call them the money raisers. And then I'm for the group that's raising the money. And then I'm going to say the operators for the guys and group that are doing the development. So in the money raisers fund, where people like me would potentially put money in I'm going to get a 10% preferred return, as we just mentioned. That's not going to be, nothing is actually being paid out. There's no current pay. But once funds are available, that would happen first. And then after that, and they don't put this in their documents, at least that I saw, I had to really dig for this and and ask them for this. Then the money raiser fund is splitting with the operator fund, where 85% goes to the money raiser fund and 15% goes to the operator fund, okay? Now, of the money raiser fund where my money goes in, I'm getting a 94% split as a limited partner on that. And the general partner of the money raiser fund is getting a 6% split. So back it up a second. We get our 10% pref. Then our fund gets 85. The other guys operating the thing get 15. And of the 85, there's a 94 slash 6 split until all of our money as individual investors, is returned. So if you take 94% of the 85% that goes to our fund, it's a quote-unquote true split of about 80, right? So we're getting 80% of the capital until, as individual investors, until 100% of our money is returned. And then, in my opinion, it really fucking sucks because after that, only 62.5% goes to the money raiser fund, Of which we get 80% as limited partners. And the other members, the guys that are organizing this thing are getting 20%. And 37.5% goes to the operator fund. So we have a PREF, then we have a split between the operator fund and the money raising fund. And then there's a split of a split, right? How much do you get from the amount that goes to the fund that you invested in? And then you get another fucking split in the waterfall. And once again, it's a split of a split off of that. Now you're getting 80% of 62.5%. And there's just too many moving parts here. I think most people probably don't care because they don't dig this far. They don't even know that there's splits with this other group that's basically running the show. These guys that are soliciting us are just raising money essentially and getting a pretty nice rip. They have like an acquisition fee per asset. They got all kinds of fees, other stuff that's baked into there. Again, I know, don't count other people's money. But when you just look at the waterfall, right? Right it's a little bit convoluted in my opinion, and I think it should be a lot simpler. And so again, fund of funds is not necessarily a bad thing, but in my opinion, these guys are raising money. They're selling the sizzle. It doesn't fully align with what you would normally think of when it comes to benefits of investing in a car wash. And then there's just a multitude of splits that happen. And at the end of the day, even if they hit those projections, which are pretty fantastic by most people's measures and standards, I still think the structure is so convoluted that I'm just, even if this was in alignment with my investment goals, right? Let's say I was a growth investor and I did want growth. I still don't know that I'd put my money in this thing just based on this alone with the waterfall. And the fact that it wasn't very transparent in their initial documents, you really had to dig for it. And there's other splits in there too. This is just for operational cash flow then you got a whole separate split that happens for certain capital events then they have provisions in there for if private equity gets involved and they don't want to buy the whole thing but they only want to buy a portion of it here's how that would work and that's a slightly different way too many moving parts even for myself is somebody that i would say i'm still relatively new maybe beginner to intermediate level in the real estate space But as somebody who's been a certified financial planner for many years now and works in financial services and generally has a mind for some of the numbers type stuff, it's confusing to me. I don't understand how in the world they expect the average investor. And of course they tell them to go meet with their own advisors and some may have them and some may not, but I can't fathom that this would be in agreement with a lot of people's philosophies. Like again, you might agree with their investment approach and investment style, See the projections and not give a shit how you get there if they can meet the projections. I guess you could say that's valid, but I think they should put in place a much simpler structure in terms of these waterfalls, especially when you have multiple waterfalls for different things from operational cash flow to exit events and so on. So if it sounds like I'm speaking a foreign language on this podcast, trust me, when you get into these documents, it's even more of a foreign language. And so that, my friends, is why I am still not investing in a car wash syndication. Even though there's great benefits to owning car washes and cash flow and things like that, that is not what this particular deal is offering. So I have to say that personally, I'm out. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Mm -mm -mm. Fuck this shit, I'm out. No thanks. Don't mind me. I'ma just grab my stuff and leave. Excuse me, please. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Nope. Fuck this shit, I'm out. All right then. I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I don't really care. I'm going to get the fuck up out of here. This shit, I'm out. What are you all investing in? Feel free to email the show, realtalkpersonalfinance at gmail.com. We'll take a look at it. We won't give you any advice, but we'll certainly give you our opinion if you're willing and able and wanting to share. That's all we got for you today. This is episode 49, why I'm still not investing in a car wash syndication. This is the Cashflow King signing off. We will see you in the next episode. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys.